0: Marilyn has had the honor of being in pastoral ministries with her husband for the past 43 years. She's an ordained pastor. She speaks at retreats, conferences, workshops, and leads Bible studies. She's been interviewed on several radio shows, including Focus on the Family. She received her bachelor's in psychology and biblical literature from Azusa Pacific University, and she's a ministry coach through the Wesleyan Coaching Network. Marilyn has authored two books, Listening for God and Shamelifter. She's the mother of five and loves being the grandmother to her 12 grandchildren. She longs for people to know that God truly loves them with an outrageous, extravagant, and unconditional love. Join me in welcoming Marilyn Hunts. Thank you so much. Thank you for that lovely introduction and thank you, praise team, for lifting our eyes to the Lord Jesus. Your praise team prayed and invited Jesus to be here today. And you know what? I felt him. I heard him speak to my own heart. I heard him say to me, you are my beloved daughter. And you know what? I truly believe you're going to hear a lot of words today through your day from profs, from friends, from peers, and you hear stuff in chapel. But I am praying that as you leave, you will hear one word or one phrase from the Lord Jesus that you know is just for you, that you can take with you. Well, it is an extreme privilege for me to be here because I have two of my favorite people here. Um, Dr. Amanda Drury is, uh, was my, our third daughter, and she's the kind of daughter that always brings joy into the family. Every family needs an Amanda. And then I have my son-in-law, Dave, Dr. Dave Ward here and he is really very special to me. I'll tell you he's the kind when he comes into my house he says hi mom how you doing and then he looks you right in the eyes and he says I mean really how you doing and I love that about them and so it's a privilege for me to be here not only with my own kids but with you. I hope you're all kind of recovering from last night from the Super Bowl and that you got enough sleep. And I know you have packed schedules. I know you have projects due and all kinds of stuff. And so I just pray again that the Lord Jesus will just give you one word or one sentence that you can take with you. Well, I brought my baggage with me today. And thankfully, it's not heavy, because when I go away, I usually overpack, and I've realized that my husband underpacks, and I now understand why he does that. When we go away, he'll say, oh, Marilyn, I forgot my shirt, or Marilyn, I forgot my swimsuit, and guess what? We have to go out and buy him new stuff, but because I've got so much packed into my suitcase, I don't need any new clothes, so I'm I'm starting to learn, just not overpack, but I got to tell you, that this bag, which is light right now, has been filled with lots of items, lots of stuff, things like fear, things like worry. And have you ever noticed that you never run out of worries? Have you noticed that they help you feel in control when you worry? So let's worry. So I worry in my bag. I've had unforgiveness in my bag. I've had perfectionism in my bag. And you know what I discovered not too many years ago? That, per- that perfectionism is actually listed as an addiction. I thought, oh no, this cannot be, because being perfect is the best thing. And then I've had bitterness in my bag, in my baggage. And you know what bitterness really is? It's self-inflicted suffering. And then I've had lies in my bag. Oh, you know those things that you say about yourself. Oh, I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy. Those kinds of lies. I'm dumb. And then in addition to the lies, if you can believe this, I have labels that have been packed in my bag. Have you ever had someone drop a label, a name over you, and it wasn't princess, and it wasn't mighty warrior? It was... What a crybaby. You're so fat. Fatty! Have you ever had labels dropped over you? I've carried those in my baggage. And then, one of the main things I've carried is a big blanket, and it's called shame, and it really stuffs my baggage. Now, shame is something we don't talk about too often. And I think the reason is because when we talk about shame, it produces more shame. And so we want to stay away from that word. But I want to talk about that word today. And I want to tell you what I think shame looks like. I think it's like those deep feelings inside you that cause you to think, I'm not good enough, that I will never, ever measure up. I think it's similar to being in a horribly embarrassing situation only it goes on and on and on. You relive it and it's like you can't get out of it because you see kind of like the difference between guilt and shame. Guilt, it finally goes away, but shame sticks with you. Shame paralyzes you. Shame can descend on you whether you've done something wrong or someone else because of someone else's bad actions toward you. Shame silences you. You feel like your opinion doesn't matter, it doesn't count. Shame shuts down your insides. Shame says you can't do anything right, you're not worthy, and shame steals your confidence. Shame says, you've not only made a mistake, you are the mistake. Shame says, you're not enough, and God's not enough. Shame says, it has more power over you than the blood of jesus christ shame attacks your identity and get this it talks you out of who you are did you hear what i said shame talks you out of who you are and who are you whether you believe this or not you are beloved sons and daughters of the lord god of heaven's armies And he dearly, dearly loves you. I wish I could get everybody to know that totally in their brain. Oh yeah, we sing the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know. Do we really know that we are loved? Because I think when we really, really know that we're loved by the Lord Jesus, guess what? We can live loved. No matter what someone has done to us. No matter what's going on in our life. We can live loved because we know who we are. We know who we belong to. Well, shame is a big deal. And to be made aware of any shame in our life and being willing to address it is really, with the Lord's help, is really good. And we can break the shame in our life. At four years of age, I, um, well, by the way, uh, Counselors and psychologists will say that at age four, children feel shame. That's when they first start to notice shame in their life. And by age four, I had already pack, started packing my suitcase. I had fear packed in here. I was afraid of my dad. I had labels packed in here. I was, oh, fraidy cat, cry baby. And then I had a relative that would say to me often, Marilyn, I'm not as dumb as you look. And I put, ooh, I'm a dummy, and I must look ugly. My baggage began to grow, and I became what I call a shame receiver. By the way, you heard the announcement about tonight, about stand up for your sister, stand up for your brother. And if if any of this is connecting to you, and you want to talk more about that, then I encourage you to come out at 9.30 tonight. Well, there's a sequence of events that happened to me beginning around age five. I went on a family trip, and my dad was driving, and I lived in California at that time, and we were driving to Barstow, that's a desert, and I mean, there's deserted roads that are dipping like this, and I started crying. Remember, I'm the crybaby, and I began to cry, and my dad got very annoyed with me because he was always washing my mouth out with soap every time I cried. And I guess because he didn't have soap, he stopped the car, he gets out, he walks around to the car, opens my door and says, get out. I get out, he grabs my little suitcase and he sets it on the ground on the shoulder of the road. He goes around, he gets in the car and I see my dad driving off down the road and here I am, a a five-year-old left on the road. And I can't tell you the fear that I felt and I, I also experienced abandonment. And while I didn't know what that word was, I stuffed that into my baggage. Now, obviously, my dad came back and got me. I don't know how long I was on the road, but I am here today. But nevertheless, I stuffed that away in my baggage, abandonment. And then around that same age, my parents went away, and we had a guest staying with us one day, and that guest sexually molested me. I didn't know what was going on. I was was terrified. There was no one to help me. And I remember what this guest said to me, he said, and don't you ever tell anybody because if you do, you will be in big trouble. I believed him. And you know, because my relationship with my dad wasn't good, I was already afraid of him. I thought, there's no way I'm going to tell my dad because I just want my daddy to love me, and for sure he, he won't love me. I just wanted to hear my dad tell me that he loved me, but that was not my dad. He was emotionally very emotionally very disconnected. And I can't tell my mom. Now, my mother was the exact opposite of my dad. She was very nurturing, very loving, but I didn't want to risk losing her love. And so you know what I did? I zipped it and I kept it a secret. Oh, I put it in my baggage, and there it stayed. And I have to tell you, for almost 42 years, it stayed in secret mode in my baggage, and I carried it around with me, pulled it behind me. Well, my life went on, and and I have to really hurry through things, but my dad, I would go to my dad because I needed money for piano lessons, and he'd pull out his wallet in a very dramatic way and pull out a five and say, this is my last five. And you know what I believed? that I was a financial burden to my dad. He would say, if I told him I was going to a friend's house, now Marilyn, remember the word, remember the scripture, withdraw thy foot from the neighbor's house, lest they grow weary of thee. That was King James, by the way. And I thought, oh no, now I'm not only a financial burden, I'm going to be a burden to people that I visit. And it was those lies going into my brain. When I was 14, my mom had to go into UCLA Hospital in California for testing. And she said, honey, I'll be back after the weekend. Well, that turned into weeks and weeks. And then a month and a half later, I finally hear that my mom is coming home. And I am so glad. I have missed her so much. It was hard living just with my dad at home. I had two a sister and a brother, but they were both much older than me. And so um, my mom came home, and I thought, this is good news, and my mom was lying down on a pull-out sofa couch, and she said, honey, I need to talk to you, and so I said, okay. So I sat on the edge of the bed, and she said, honey, I've got to tell you, my disease isn't going to heal. She couldn't even say breast cancer, and I said, what? I threw myself on her, and I'm sobbing, and I'm thinking, how am I going to live without her? And I'm saying, why? Why isn't God going to heal you? Why, why? And she said, honey, I don't know, but I want to tell you some things. She says, I want to tell you that I did pray and ask the Lord to let me live until you got married and until you had children. And she said, I asked the Lord that I would be able to hold those children in my arms. But I have to tell you, Marilyn, that I've been holding them and you in the arms of prayer. And you're going to be okay. Well, I didn't think I was going to be Okay. And little did I realize at that point that she was planting seeds of prayer in my life. Because you see, prayer has no boundaries. And those prayers keep going. Well, it was the next day that my mom went to be with Jesus. And I remember going to my dad and putting my arms around him and crying. And my dad took me by the arms and pushed me back like this and just said simply, Marilyn, you just have to go on. Basically quit crying. And my sister who was visiting happened to overhear, and I I happened to overhear that, and then I overheard her say to my dad, Dad, Marilyn just needs to be comforted. She just wants to be loved by you. Well, she's always hanging on me, is what I heard him say, and I walked out the door, and I went out into this beautiful... California day, blue sky, September day, and I looked up at the sky and I said, God, I have watched you be really real to my mom, and and she's got this really great relationship with you, and I want to have that kind of relationship with you, but I kind of feel aloof from you, it's kind of like, you know, that's how God, that's how my dad is to me, aloof, and so that's how I pictured my heavenly father. And I began to just pour out my heart to him. I was just desperate. I did not know what I was going to do. I don't know why I did not say, God, I'm turning away from you because you took my mother. I guess it's because I didn't feel like I had anything else. And I was willing to give God one more chance. And thankfully, he helped me to walk toward him instead of away from him. And something happened to me that day. And I have never been the same. Where Jesus so entered into my life. And I knew that he loved me. Well, after my mom died, that sent in a whole chain of events. And within a year, before the year was up of her anniversary of her death, a year anniversary of her death, my dad had already remarried. And the first thing that my new stepmom said to me is, Marilyn, the dog, your dog has to go. Now, my dog was a five pound chihuahua. And eight years old, and I know some of you don't think that's a dog, but it was my pet. It was my dog. And it was one of those nice kind. It wasn't yappy, okay? But I can still to this day, I begged and pleaded that I could keep the dog. And I to this day, I can still see someone carrying that dog out our front door, never to see that dog again. And you think, oh, Marilyn, that's silly. But what happened was loss upon loss. I came home from school One day, shortly after my dad had remarried, and all my mom's things were gone. Everything was gone. And I said, Dad, you didn't even give us a chance to to, to pick anything. Well, I just had this lady come in, and she bought everything. And there was one, there was a couple cupboards that this lady didn't touch that came in and bought stuff. And one of them was a cupboard of my mom's prayer journals. And I have to tell you, I have those today. And to see my name in her journals, to see how she was praying for me, to see what God was speaking to her out of the word, it is an incredible inheritance to me, a spiritual inheritance that I so treasure well, I turned 16, and what do you want when you're 16? Driver's license. I had done driver's training, everything I needed to do. But my dad said, nope, nope, nope. Cannot, dri- ha- cannot drive, cannot have a car, can't anything. And I finally had to resign myself to it. I was washing dishes with my stepmom one day, and, and I, probably not real good, I said to her, um, oh, you know what? These dishes that we're washing These are the dishes, some of the dishes that were left in one cupboard that that lady didn't buy. And I said, these dishes were my mom's, and some people from our church gave them to her. And I'll forget, my stepmom looked at me, and she said, well, they're my dishes now. I thought, oh, another loss. I was trying to hang on to something of my mother's. And then it was time for graduation from high school. No nothing. No party. No words. No congratulations. And then I went, I needed to go to college, I was accepted as Zusa Pacific, and I said to my dad, is there any way you can take me and live two hours away? Now remember, I don't have a driver's license, so I can't drive there myself. And um, he says, nope, I'm not taking you. Finally found a ride, got to school, got settled in. And then when I had my 19th birthday at college, do you know what I wanted more than anything on my birthday? I wanted my dad to call me. I wanted him to tell me that he loved me and I remember was oh sometime later my dad calls me and I couldn't believe it I was so excited I'm at school and he says Marilyn I just want you to know that I know you had a birthday and I went he remembered and he said and I just want to tell you something he said um uh your stepmom and I want you to know that you may not ever come home again and I went what dad what have, you know, what have I? I mean, I'm not into drugs. I'm not into alcohol. Why can't I come home? I said I have a job there in the summer. That I need that money. I, I, I need to be able to get back to school, and, and I need a place to stay for the summer. By now, it's almost summer and summer break, and I don't know what I'm going to do. And I am distraught. And my dad hangs up with me, and all those lies are just churning around in me. And guess what? I added to my baggage then. Bitterness, that self-inflicted suffering, you know. And I kept, I kept thinking, I kept going over that thing over and over and over. And it's like in this emotional stuck point, my dad doesn't love me. My dad doesn't love me. And do you know what that bitterness? It was kind of like this, where I had this cup, and I imagined this as my life. Now. If this was filled with hot chocolate or hot coffee and you're walking around the student center and you don't have a lid on it and it's crowded and people bump into you, what happens? The hot chocolate or hot coffee spills out. It could spill out on you. It could spill out on some of those around you. And it was like my life was being so filled up with bitterness toward my dad that if people bumped into me, that's what was spilling out of my life. And you know what I did? I just stuffed it and my bag, my baggage. And then I added unforgiveness, because what my dad did was unforgivable in my eyes. Well, I went on with college, and I I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't know I was going to go for the summer, and I got a phone call from some people I did not know. And they said, Marilyn, we've heard about your situation through your sister. And we know that there's a program this summer for the students at Azusa Pacific and other colleges to go to Israel for three months to study there to get 10 credit hours and to um, study at the Hebrew University. And I'm thinking, yeah, right, who are these people? And they said, um, well, we know that you're really, really hurting, and we would, we would like to see if you would like to fly with us to Canada This weekend, we'll get you back in time for school on Monday if you would be willing to go with us. You don't know us, but we'd just love to talk with you. Well, you know what? I guess because I was so distraught and didn't know what else to do for the weekend, I said, okay. And I went to Canada with this total stranger family. And it was an incredible time. It was like they adopted me into their family. They are sending me off then on Sunday night to get on the plane to go back to college for Monday morning. And the dad hands me a check. His name was Khan Bauer. He handed me a check and he said, I want you, we want you to go to Israel for this summer. Here's your whole way paid. And I went, wow, that was a God sighting. And so as it turned out, my summer place was cared for. I didn't have to worry about where I was going to live. I am thinking in the back of my mind, though, how am I going to pay? I've not had a job. But we went there. I went there, and it was so great to go on the kibbutz trucks on the weekends and to go to all these places that Jesus had been. And, and the, the, the word just became so alive to me. Well, it was one of the, we were getting ready for the end of the trip. It was the end of the summer, and we found out that we had an, ex, exit, an airport exit tax due of 12 pounds in Israeli currency. And I went, oh no, I had budgeted all the money out and I had two pounds left. I went to the Lord, I went to my dorm room, I knelt by the bed and didn't tell anyone, I said, Jesus, I really need you, I need you to help me, I don't know, I need ten more pounds. And I got up from that and I went and checked my mailbox. Now it was a the Sabbath, there's no mail on the, on the Sabbath, but I kept checking it. But later in the day, I looked through my mailbox because the, there's a little glass on it and I could see this paper in there and it looked like it was all folded up and I thought, oh, someone's just playing a joke on me and so I opened up my mailbox, pulled out this notebook paper and unwrapped it and, and out a 10-pound note. I'm going, oh my goodness. And I look at the note and it says these simple words. To Marilyn, love Jesus. And as far as I was concerned, Jesus himself had come and put that 10-pound pound note in my mailbox because I hadn't told a soul. And to this day, I have no idea who did that. And I saw God sightings. You know, anytime you're in a really rough spot in your life and you can look back, look for times where God showed up because I was starting to see that he was there, even times when I felt so alone. Well, now I'm back at school and I'm standing in the financial aid line. And have any of you ever stood in the financial aid line? And I'm trying to say, how am I going to go to school? I don't have money. I didn't work this summer. Well, I had some scholarships and stuff. But anyway, a, a person came up to me and said, Marilyn, I've got to tell you some good news. When your mom died, she had Social Security, and it's all retroactive, and it will pay for your whole semester. And I went, wow, God, what a huge God sighting. And then I met my future husband. I was engaged then to the superhero football hero of Azusa Pacific. And things were so great. And it's time for the wedding. And I said to my parents, um, is there any way you can help me financially a little bit? Nope, you're on your own. Well, you know those, that family, the Bowers, they heard about it, not from me, from my sister. And they called me one day and they said, Marilyn, we heard that you're, you don't have any money for a wedding. We want you... To have the wedding of your dreams, you do whatever you want. We're paying for the whole thing. And the Bowers did that for me. I settled into married life, but guess what? I still had my baggage. And I didn't know what to do with it. I wanted my dad to tell me he loved me. Even though I had this good thing going on, I wanted my dad. I had a deep father wound, and it wouldn't heal. And I kept hoping my dad would change By then, I'm 30 years old, and a pastor's wife encouraged me to read the word. Now, I know that. I know about reading the word, and you've heard it tons, millions of times probably. And I'm not talking about reading the word in a duty, you know, with a duty or a sense of legalism. But she said, Marilyn, I'm going to tell you how to read the word. She said, read, pick up the word, and begin reading, and read until God speaks to you. When he does, stop. Journal that. Write that down. And I went, oh, brother. I said, I can't do that. I'm so disorganized. She said, just try it. Just keep trying it. Keep doing it. And so I began to take her advice and to read the word until God spoke to me. And it came to Nehemiah chapter 5, and I thought... Oh, this is funny, Lord. Look at Nehemiah. He's a governor of yours, and, and he's telling you all the good things that he's done in 13 years. And I said, you know what? He wants affirmation from you. And it, just like that, I don't know if you know what I'm talking about, but it's all of a sudden like I heard the whisper of God say to me, that's right, Marilyn, and that's exactly what you want in your life. You want your dad's affirmation. You're not going to get it from him, but if you'll come to me, I will give you that affirmation. I will give you that love and all of a sudden something began to wash over me and I know what it was it was compassion for my dad all of a sudden I began to see him as someone who was like not really but like paralyzed and in a wheelchair and paralyzed from his neck down that he couldn't do anything he was not the healthy one but I could be the healthy one I could not fix him I could not change him but I could change You know that book title hurt people hurt people that was my dad and I said to the Lord, Lord, help me forgive my father. And it, even though forgiveness is the hardest thing to do, it is the most incredible thing you can do. Have you ever noticed what word is right in the middle of, of the word forgiveness? What's the middle word? Give. And I had to give him to the Lord. And, and you know, the Lord knows that for him, when Jesus forgives us, it's an instant thing. But when we try to forgive others, it's usually, you know, a process. And it was at that time the Lord began to take my cup of bitterness, and he started helping me to dump it out. And you know what he started filling me up with? It was his blessings, with his presence, with his love for my dad. Four years after that point, my dad came to visit me. It was my dad was the same old dad. Same old way. But you know what? It kind of didn't bother me so much. And he went home, and he flew back to California. I was living in Michigan. He flew back home, and he called me that night, which was a surprise. And he said in a very halting voice, but I will speed it up. He said, uh, Marilyn, that was the best time I had with you, and I love you dearly. That is the first time I ever heard my dad tell me he loved me, and I was 34 years old at that time. Now, you know, a miracle that was to me, you know what the greater miracle was? Is that I could honestly say to my dad, and daddy, I love you, and I really, really meant it. Some things began to change in my life, and I began to practice some steps that were were to help me and to help me to this day. One of the verses, Psalm 119, 29, from the New Living uh, Translation says, keep me from lying to myself. Now, while I don't go around making it really a habit of lying to others, although, you know, don't put it past me. I mean, I can lie, but I don't make a habit of it but guess what? I can lie to myself so easily, and I can believe the lies. Oh, Marilyn, you just look horrible today. Marilyn, you're not going to do good today. This is, this is just not going to work. But the second part of that verse says, give me the privilege of knowing your instructions. You know what that instructions are? Give me the privilege of knowing your truth. And so I saw that I had to start exchanging my lies for God's truth. So if I said to the Lord, Lord, I can't speak at chapel. I'm not good enough. I'm not worthy to do that. You know what? The Lord gave me Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. It's through Christ's strength, not my own strength. And I had to start replacing, exchanging And then there's another verse that he brought into my life, 2 Corinthians 10, 5. It says that we take every thought captive and make it obey Christ. So this is what happens. Let's say a lie is coming toward me that I'm not good enough today. The words, and and if I don't do anything with it, it'll perch right here on my shoulder, it will whisper in my ear, and it will go around like a CD that's put on repeat. Now, If I take this verse to heart, if I take that lie that's coming at me, capture it, and this is what I literally do, I go like this, this is a visual, I capture that, and then who do I make it obedient to? Not to me, I make it obedient to Christ, and I have to do that, but it's exchanging the lies. Colossians 3.13 was another one that that continues to be very powerful in my life. It's bear with each other. Forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. This verse doesn't say try to forgive. It says forgive. And I think of the Lord Jesus in the middle of excruciating pain on the cross. while, While we're rejecting him, he's accepting us. And I began to see as I looked at my own sin, my own life, that when Jesus was going to the cross, it was like there was this big bundle of sin on him. And my sin was in there too. I'm an abuser too. And it broke my heart. And the Lord didn't say, you know what, Marilyn, once I get to heaven, once I'm off this cross, once I feel better, then I'm going to forgive you. I've had people tell me that once they get to heaven, they'll forgive somebody. But Jesus forgave us right then and there. He forgave me. Now, you may be saying, but Marilyn, it's not fair. If I forgive someone, they'll be off the hook. Can I tell you they're never off of God's hook? And I do realize that there's some people that are not safe people. And so we have to watch how we work out that whole thing, forgiveness. And so I get that. But I, what I do is I picture what I call a Jesus jail. Picture a prison. P- picture a jail. And when I have someone who's very difficult in my life, someone who has hurt me so deeply, I say, Lord Jesus, I'm putting that person in that Jesus jail. And I am taking my hands off. Now, to be honest with you, you know what I want the, that person to feel? I want that person to feel all the pain that they caused me. But I'm saying, Lord Jesus, help that person to feel the pain that you went through for them. Lord Jesus, you deal with them. I'm relinquishing. I do not want revenge on them. Because you know what I found out? The Lord can work much better with that person than I can. That person who molested me when I was five was in the Jesus jail for many years. Now, hopefully a person doesn't stay in there forever. Hopefully there comes a time where you can take them out. And you know what? About 42 years later, I was able to say, Jesus, I forgive that person. It was through a process. It was through help. And you know, I felt lightness of soul. I was no longer keeping that secret stuffed in here, and it felt so freeing, it felt so great. And you know those dishes that I mentioned that I, one day when I was washing them with my stepmom. Well, one day I, we went out to visit her, and um, she said, Marilyn, I want you to go and come in, out in the garage with me. And she opened a box, and she said, these are yours now. And tears running down her cheeks, She knew what she had said. These were her peace offering back to me. Now, I have to tell you that these dishes have the word forgiveness written clear across them. And I'm looking forward to passing them down to my children. Because you see, I have an option. I can either pass this down... To people my children or I can pass down the dishes which I hope by the way when I do they don't get in fights because I have five kids and uh, I don't have that many dishes (laughs) but I am passing down these dishes that's what I that's what I want to do and you know it was shortly not too too many years ago that my dad said to me you know Marilyn and this is kind of like my first really good conversation with him he said I planted six churches, but I lost my family. My dad was a pastor. He said, my dad died when I was nine years old. I cried and my aunt slapped me for crying and I went, oh, I get that. My dad saw crying as a weakness. And then he said, my brother hurt me physically over and over. You know what happened? My dad never got rid of his baggage and the three children, me included, carried it for him. So I don't know what God's stirring in your soul this morning, Do you have excess baggage? Do you identify with any shame? Is there someone you need to forgive? Is there someone you need to put in the Jesus jail? Or is there someone you need to take out of the Jesus jail? Has Satan sought to talk you out of who you really are? And maybe you're sitting here thinking, you know what? My life's really good. I don't have any of that stuff. That's wonderful. Maybe you could be like a con bower and come alongside someone and help them. Or maybe you're sitting here feeling like, man, I'm really a victim. Marilyn, you have no idea what my story is. I've heard stories, and you know what? My story pales in significance compared to many of your stories. And so we go around living as a victim. I understand that. And then maybe we get to survivor, but can I tell you it goes one step further? It goes to victor, and we sang about that today, the victorious Christ. Can I tell you that every one of you sitting here has a story? but we often allow shame to silence our stories. Because sometimes, according to author Brene Brown, walking into our stories feels dangerous. But can I tell you that Jesus walks with us in those stories, he walks with you, and this is the good part. Jesus uses every part of your story, the good and the bad, and he's the only one he can do it. Shame is not more powerful than the blood of Jesus and what he can do. You know, some of you may think, oh, Marilyn, it's nice. Your story all ends up like in a package with this pretty bow tied on top. Can I tell you, I have to fight the lies. I still have to fight the shame. I still have difficult people coming into my life, but I've learned some steps, and I've learned that no matter what, I am a loved daughter of the Lord. And so I encourage you, break the shame do whatever you need to do get help there's lots of help available right here on this campus refuse to be shame lifters hebrews 12:1 i close with this verse so then let us also run the race that's laid out in front of us since we have such a great cloud of witnesses surrounding us listen to this let's throw off any excess baggage And get rid of the sin that trips us up. Whether it's our own sin that's tripping us up. Or the sin of someone else that's tripping us up. So, dear students, I have a choice. I can either pass down these dishes that represent forgiveness. Or I can pass down this baggage. But scripture says, throw off any excess baggage.